Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. All right, it's the TC Live weekly podcast, second episode of the year. Mitch Michaels here, along with TC's own Jimmy Arias. Jimmy, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. So we're at the Aussie Open, start of the season, first major of the year. We're going to talk a lot about breaking down all the preview, all the events leading up to the tournament. The draw came out, a lot of good discussion on TC Live this week. But Jimmy, I want to ask you first, this is kind of different. In a lot of di- in a lot of sports, they don't just jump into one of the biggest titles of the year right away. So as a former player and as someone that's been living in the game for a long time, how hard is it to just flip the switch for these players? Some as you know, the legends like Federer and Serena who've won many majors or the players just coming up, how hard is it to go from offseason right into the first major of the year? I mean, look, it's not easy when you're talking to me. I played in the 80s mostly, and in the 80s not everyone played Australia because it was during Christmas, mm-hmm. and it wasn't really a major. It's become a major now, obviously. So I didn't have the experience so much if I just took that time off and <laughs> relaxed and started in February, really. Um the problem is it is difficult for these players because the season keeps getting shorter and shorter. And so you want time off. You have to refresh, but then you have to start training hard knowing you're playing in heat three out of five sets. If you're in the men's side of the draw and that takes tremendous preparation. So it is difficult to turn that switch right away. And it is difficult when you haven't played a match in a little bit of time in a month or a month and a half, Mm -hmm. and you haven't played a match under pressure that tends to cause some problems. It's difficult to get that first or second match in. So you sort of have to come and play a few matches early. I think ATP Cup was actually something that's going to help the top players because they got those matches in. Right. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You have players like Federer who haven't played really at all. Alex Diemenor, that news broke today. He's not going to be playing in the Australian Open, had that core abdominal injury. He played a lot of big, heavy matches in the ATP Cup. I don't think there's a perfect formula, but I do agree that – the ATP Cup is going to be helpful because we saw, we worked those matches. They were playing for keeps there, and it was very intense. I mean, look, there's a couple of players in the world that don't need much preparation, <laughs> and Roger Federer is one of them. Yeah. Serena Williams is another one that doesn't really need the matches. But even a guy like Rafa Nadal, he does need the matches because he feels nervous when he hasn't mm-hmm. played. He doesn't have that sort of innate confidence. It's funny, when you think about Roger Federer, he, does, he doesn't say anything overtly cocky but you can see he's very that confident he's very confident he's he's truly confident deep down inside you're he right. thinks he's a really he's a great player and it's, he is it's genuine it's natural yes. he's just like i'm, I'm gonna win I'm really I, good, I don't yeah. need the warm-up exactly. i can just go out there uh, and you mentioned serena i just want to touch on that this is something she's addressed that she said publicly i because she struggled in these major finals. I want to play more tournaments i want to have more big match experience wins the first title since giving birth at auckland 
coming in with some real momentum to a major, I don't think that's really happened since she's come back. So obviously she's always a threat, but getting that title is big for her to show that she can, you know, get to the title. I mean, look, she did have this same attitude after losing so badly in the Wimbledon final to Halep. She mm-hmm. said that she needs to play and do mm-hmm. better in some of the smaller tournaments. And she did make it all the way to the finals in Toronto, had to pull out mm-hmm. against Andreescu early in that match in the final. And she still played somewhat of a nervous final in the U.S. Open. So, yes, I think anytime you're playing matches and you're feeling pressure and you're coming through under that pressure, that is a good thing for you. But Serena has to find a way to play her normal, confident, relaxed way when she's in a final trying to tie the record. For whatever reason, that has tightened her up, and you can see Mm -hmm. it in her movement. When she gets to the finals of majors – the last three times, her movement is gone all of a sudden. And I don't think it's from being overworked during the mm-hmm. two weeks. I think it's just a question of nerves. Well, we're going to go to our first segment from the week. It was a good game of On the Line where we kind of fill in the blank on Tennis Channel Live. I know you guys had some fun with it, you, Steve, and Tracy Austin. Uh, we're going to go into that. How can Serena get the 24th major? What's up with Alexander Zverev and his struggles coming out of the ATP Cup? And what can Rafa Nadal do to win in Australia for just the second time? Hard to believe there. Let's go to On the Line now on TC Live. Here it is, On the Line. Our first On the Line. Rafa Nadal has to blank at Melbourne this year to win. To win. He's to gotta, win. I would assume he's going to have to beat Djokovic, and to do that, he's going to have to force the issue more. He has not beaten Djokovic in about six and a half years on hard courts. How does he force the issue? He's going to have to flatten out his ground strokes, and he's going to have to come to the net more frequently. He did that in the second set in the ATP Cup. He even mixed in some serve and volley. Seemed pretty successful. He's going to have to change his game slightly. 19 sets in a row he's lost to Djokovic on a hard court. So if he's going to beat Djokovic here, something's got to change. He's got to change core positioning because when they play against each other, Djokovic plays an ultra-aggressive style. He goes big first ball, really takes control. Look where Nadal finds himself in every point, just scrambling. He can get away with that against most players. He cannot do it against Djokovic. And how about Roger Federer, too? I mean, he hasn't beaten him on a hard court since 2014 semifinals at the Australian Open. So, Roger, he's lost to on hard courts the last six years. Djokovic, the last seven years, dating back to the 2013 U.S. Open finals. So, uh, it's been tough for Rafa. And, by the way, the one win was 2009 in Australia. So, this is the one major for Rafa. With just one. With just one. With just one. So I, I, that's why he's got to flatten those, those ground strokes out. You see the trajectory of the ball. Djokovic's ball is more linear, and Rafa's ball is, is up high that works on the clay, but it just doesn't strike through the court quite enough. And I, at the ATP Cup, he lost the first set 6-2, I think mm-hmm. it was, and so he had to change something. I liked the serve and volley just once in a while. Not all the time because then Djokovic has a target, and also he was forcing the issue in the points if he could get – Rafa has an incredible volley. He positions himself. He moves so well up there. Just give a different look. What's interesting is he's lost to Federer all these times as well on hard court recent years. And it used to work just hitting that high flippy top spin to the backhand. Federer made an adjustment. He started taking the ball earlier, flattening it out, and controlling the points. It's now time for Nadal to make an adjustment. All right, the good news, uh, the last hard court major winner, Rafa Nadal, he did it in the U.S. Open just a few months ago. All right, our next on the line, uh, Serena Williams ties the record of 24 slams if what? 
she gets over her nerves in the finals. I think because the record is, is on the line. Once she gets there, she's done it three times, and she hasn't won a set in any of those finals. And when she gets nervous, she just tightens up. I also think she could get a little fitter because she just needs to move a little quicker around the court. She hits so hard when she's on balance, she's lethal. I hate to agree with Tracy, but on a couple of... <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's just fun to argue with her. <laughs> but in this case, it's the nerves, I think, in the finals. So obviously she's shown that she can get to the finals of majors and, and get that time, but she gets a little nervous. People show their nerves in different ways. And for Serena, her feet stop moving when she gets tight. Some players, you can see they're tight with their hands or their arms. They're not... Racket head speed isn't quite there. Serena, when she gets tight, her legs quit moving, and that's why she's played so poorly in those major finals. Okay, how about this, Tracy? She just won her first title right. since coming back from maternity leave, won at Auckland. Does that give you more confidence? With the trophy now, the nerves are gone. It does, and that was one of the things I was going to add, is that I think if she could get some wins, now that takes the monkey off her back, that she's now finally won as a mom. If she can win a couple in the spring and get to Wimbledon and feel really confident and, and kind of winning titles is, is off the table, I think that will help alleviate some of those nerves. She still wants to get that tying major, so she'll feel that extra pressure, no question, in a final. I know she can get over it. She's... She's done it a few times in the past. I, she's going to get at least yeah. two more. All right, next one. Uh, Sasha Zverev's performance at the ATP Cup was... Disturbing. <laughs> disturbing, but I think fixable. I think okay. disturbing because of his serve, obviously. It, it has been a weapon in the past, and from what I hear, he actually changed the motion with his dad, who was his coach, in the offseason. He was kind of chirping at his dad in the... ATP Cup, where he lost all three of his matches. Jimmy, we've all been there, where there's a certain stroke that doesn't feel comfortable. He's gotten the yips on the serve. He can fix it. He's too good of an athlete, but it is tough to watch right now. It is frightening, and it is career-ending type stuff that could possibly happen if it continues to... Career-ending? Career ending. He's wow. seven in the world. I know that. But I'm uh, ask Guillermo Coria. I mean, I'm going back a few years, but be, Guillermo Coria was a top-five player in the world that made finals of the French Open and all of a sudden couldn't hit a serve in. And he didn't do this as often. Maybe this will help Sparov <laughs> in some ways get the anger out of him. Djokovic also, if you remember, he stayed three in the world somehow, but he had a year or a year and a half of double faulting yips. He got over it. So it's not that you can't get over it, but it is frightening once that starts entering your head. And you know it's entering his head because there's even other players. I think it was Belinda Bencic did a tweet about yeah, he has not donating, donating double faults. for double faults. Yeah. What do you think, Zverev? So it's on everybody's mind, including his. Yeah. He's got 11 titles. He said, I need to find my rhythm. It needs to happen sooner than later for Zverev. But like we said, still a top eight seed at the Australian Open. Finally, favorite thing about the Happy Slam is what? Just the relaxed atmosphere. The Australian people are just so chill. They just seem to be so happy. Uh, it's a great time of the year. It's sunny. It's warm. Not great weather this year, but uh, it's, just, it's just great to be there. It is the slam that treats the regular players, you know, five in the world, not Grand Slam Hall of Fame Five winners. in the world's regular. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not extraordinary. Regular, well, whatever. Just so you know. Just <laughs> treats, <laughs> treats all players as if they are at the top of the game, the Australian Federation, everybody there. So that's what I love most about the Australian Open, the way they treat the players. <laughs> we got to ask somebody that was, like, ranked in the hundreds how, they, how they felt. They feel, they're going to feel the same way, I promise. But that fits in with that same Australian mentality. They're just so happy. I mean, yeah. you, you walk along the Yara to, um, you know, Rod Laver Arena, and they've got the barbecue set up along the Yara, and they 
don't work as hard as we do over here in the United States. They just seem <laughs> less stressed out overall. Maybe they work better. They work smarter. Smarter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we hope that air quality, though, gets better, because otherwise, n no happiness with the, no. the hazardous. Yeah. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1. CG1 at newbalance.com. Yes. All right, so that was on the line. Another great discussion there. And two of the guys we didn't mention beforehand as much were uh, Nadal and Zverev. Zverev first, Jimmy, because this seems to be a reoccurring issue. He's played better at times, especially at the end of 2019, but the surf has been letting him down. He's visibly just shook at times. Do you think this is a correctable thing, or do you think this is between the ears mostly? Well, it is correctable. Mm -hmm. But it is between the ears. It's both <laughs> yeah. of those things. And that's the issue because there have been players over the years, and not just in tennis, by the way. You think of golfers that all of a sudden get the yips. And Baseball they can't pitchers. Yeah. Baseball players. Chuck Knobloch was a famous <laughs> one that couldn't throw at the first base any <laughs> yeah. longer. Um, and there's a tennis player that really epitomizes it, and that's Guillermo Coria from Argentina who – had made the finals of the French Open. He's a guy that lost 7-6 in the fifth in the finals of Rome to Rafa Nadal. He was a great player and incredible yeah. talent. And at about 25 years old, all of a sudden he couldn't hit a serve on the planet. One in the ground, one over the baseline. And really that was the end of his career. He couldn't play any longer. Now, Zverev's not quite at that level yet, but he's double faulting enough that it starts to get in your head. And I actually caught the yip disease slightly <laughs> at the end of my career. And it's, it's actually almost like, like a nervous tick. It's very hard to control your body. I knew what I was doing wrong from a physical oh, standpoint. Yeah. I was opening up too quickly, but I couldn't get my body to slow down. So that's why I'm very sensitive about this problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm very worried for Zverev that he's not going to be able to correct it. Having said that, I had the same worry for Djokovic. Djokovic for about yeah. a year or two had the same issue, and he obviously got it fixed. So, you know, guys are maybe stronger mentally than I was. I just <laughs> started making sure I didn't hit any second serves. I just spun every first serve in. So every um, thing going in Zverev's direction, the fact that he is young, that he has had success against the top players, even in recent memory, I worry about this issue combined with the fact that in Grand Slams, whether it's the best of five deal, if that's a mental block too, he struggled not against top players. He's lost to players outside the top 50. And Jimmy's lost going away in a lot of those finals. So that's where I'm also combining the two, and I'm thinking this could be something that plagues him going forward. It's all upstairs for him because physically he can play five sets. Mm -hmm. He's in great shape. Yeah. I've never seen him actually get tired. <laughs> so it's not because of a physical reason that he struggles in the three out of five set matches. It's because they're the majors, and that's what you dream about as a kid, winning these majors. And for some reason, he just feels that little extra bit of pressure. And now that the serve thing's happening, I, I mean, I can't imagine if he's – serving for let's say he gets hot and he's serving for the australian open title <laughs> if he yeah. got to serve in i'd be sort of surprised <laughs> that's true yeah i mean the pressure is only going to rise the yes. farther he goes in these majors so something to monitor for sure and the other guy nadal i know he's as fierce a competitor as tennis has ever seen the will to win is outstanding and, and i say this as a compliment he wins more matches that he probably shouldn't win because he just refuses to lose 
Do you think a guy with his work ethic and his respect for his opponents, do you think even in the back of his mind, Jimmy, he's thinking, all right, Djokovic and Federer, those are the roadblocks because he can pretty much comfortably say he's got everybody else's number on hard court, but those two guys just hasn't been able to figure out. Look, the good thing for him is, and it worked that way at the U.S. Open as well, Djokovic and Federer are in the other half of the draw. So now he's just got one of them's gone. One of them's out of the way for sure. Um, and then he's just got to figure out a way to get one of the uh, one of the wins against them. Luckily for him at the U.S. Open, neither of them made it to the final. So he beat Medvedev <laughs> and everything was fine, even though that was a tough match against Medvedev, a long, tough five-setter. Um, he does have some roadblocks at this Australian Open because Nick Kyrgios could be in Oof. his 16. Karen Hatchinoff is the higher seed. It's supposed right. to get to the round of 16. But you know Kyrgios, if he is one match or two matches away from Nadal, he wants he loves to play right. Nadal. So he probably is going to give his best effort. And he is a player that could beat Nadal if if he's inspired. And he's he fearless. Yes. And if the odds makers set the, the line on that one, regardless of Kyrgios would be the favorite in that match. The way he's playing, the way I think Hatchinoff's been kind of struggling recently. Yeah, uh, probably and, true. But he's got to yeah. beat Two guys to get yeah, to hatch exactly. off that he's supposed to beat, and that's when he struggles. Well, Nadal going to the to make a run at the Australian Open, a good point there as well, that his last two hardcourt majors didn't have to beat Djokovic or Federer in either of them to win those two U.S. Opens. Uh, the next segment on TC Live this week that we're going to highlight is another game that we're bringing back for 2020, buy, sell, or hold. A lot of good discussion here, especially focused on the American, both the men and the women. Who do we like? Who do we not really feel? Jimmy, you were uh, on this show with uh, Steve and Tracy again, and we're going to talk about buy, sell, or hold right now on TC Live, the podcast. Right now, our first buy, sell, hold, stars and stripes on the American side. And we begin with the women. Who are you buying between these five? Keys, Kenan, Risk, Anna Samova, and Collins. Buy, sell, hold, Tracy. I could buy them all, but I'm going to buy more of Madison Keys. The fact that she's been in the semifinals at the Australian, the fact that she got to the finals last week in Brisbane, beat Kvitova, lost a tough three-setter to Pliskova. She looks dialed in and focused. I think Tracy is unfortunately correct in all the things that she just <laughs> said because I feel like they're all buys as well and the way they've been playing coming in. The one hold for me, I'm not going to go for a sell the okay. one in this group because I really do think they're playing at a great level. The one hold for me is only because of pressure, and that's Danielle Collins. Semi-finalist last year mm. at the Australian Open. She's never had to defend that number of points before in her career, so we'll see how she handles it. Maybe it doesn't bother at all, and she'll still be screaming and yelling after every point and <laughs> doesn't even recognize that she has a lot of points to defend. It's helped her quite a bit that she's done so well yeah. leading up, so it's taken a little bit of the blow of that pressure off of her, but... I still, that's why I'm putting a hold on Collins Good at call. this point, even though she's playing great. All right, Keys and Collins, the only two in that group that have made the semifinals in Australia. Madison did it twice. On the men's side, between John Isner, Taylor Fritz, Riley Opelka, Francis Tiafo, and Sam Querrey, Tracy, who are you buying? Who are you selling? Who are you holding? The buy was tough for me between Fritz and Opelka. I think they both have such a huge upside. It's tough to buy, to beat Riley with that big serve, but I'm going to go with Taylor Fritz. I just love the way that he competes. And I hate to say this, this breaks my heart, but I'm going to sell Francis. He's played two tournaments. He hasn't won a match. I'm going to go with selling the entire group. Oh, Whoa. my gosh. Um, only he, because rough. of different reasons. One is the air quality, I think, hurts John Isner. He complained when he played in China that he couldn't breathe. The air quality has been worse in Melbourne than it's been in China. So that takes him out of the equation. 
I never think seven-footers, because I do think Opelka is a player to watch. Seven-footers in three out of five sets, not easy. But his points are pretty quick with the big serve. They are, but it's also usually going five sets, so that's and a problem. And why are you selling problem. Taylor? I'm selling Taylor because I don't think he's played particularly well yet this year, and he did do well there last year, so a little bit of pressure for him. Francis, huge pressure to defend as well. I mean, it, it got set to the up quarters, Sam Query last year. who I would maybe buy, but he just got crushed by Rublev, so I'm scared. John's buy. never been past the fourth round. Sam's never been past the third round in Australia. The only one of that group that has been to the quarterfinals Francis. Francis Tiafo. Last year. Last year. A lot year. of points to defend. So, all right. Here are some rankings risers that we're going to buy, sell, or hold. Matteo Berrettini, number eight player in the world. He's never been past the first round in Australia. Shapovalov, Hatchinoff, Demonor, and Kyrgios. Jimmy, who you buy, sell, hold? I'm going to buy Shapo because I just think he's been playing at a different level here the last half of the year since he got Mikhail Eugenie as his coach. He isn't making the same number of errors. His serve has gotten Back to the rhythm when he plays his best. So Chapo's so dangerous. I mean, I guess Nick Kyrgios, he's already admitting he's he's my sell simply because he's admitting he's not gonna he's gonna watch Roger Federer in the finals. That's the finals. He's though. gonna sit down and watch he's admitting already he's not <laughs> winning and he's got the talent to win. So we'll see. Okay, for me, I was going to go with Shapo because Jimmy picked him. I'm going to go with Demonar. Okay. Demonar had a great ATP, ATP Cup, actually beat Shapo in that. Had, had pulled out of this week's with a little bit of an ab injury, but I think he'll be fine. This guy gets so fired up with the Australian crowd, so I'm going to go with him. And I'm going to have to tell you, I'm going to sell Berrettini. He hasn't played a match going into the Australian Open, so something's up. He's I'm, top eight in the world. A lot of pressure. I'm proud of you for finally selling something. <laughs> She's Be too mean. nice. She to loves sell. to be positive. I sell the whole group. It's our beacon of hope. <laughs> uh, the only player in that group that has made it to at least the quarterfinals in Australia, Nick Kyrgios, did it in 2015. So not a lot of experience there. On the ladies' side, Belinda Bencic, Arena Sabalenka, Donna Vekic, Maria Sakari. And the highlight we just saw earlier, Diana Yastremska. Which of these are you buy, selling, or holding? This was easy for me, Yastremska. She's 19 years old. She's got a full court game already. She's hooked up with Sasha Bayin. I think he's going to take her to the next level. She's about 24 in the world right now. I call that she's going to be top 12 in the world by the end of the year. Really top 12. Why not top 10? Oh, that's even tougher. I mean, more than top 15. She but could think of 11 players just slightly better. <laughs> she's only 19. I think she's huge. I'm she's a believer in Belinda Bencic. As that's my buy out of this group, simply because she reminds me of Martina Hingis. Same type of footwork. She's one of the few players that can hit down the line, and somehow it still goes out of the court. She takes it so early. She takes time away. I, I'm a little I, worried about Sabalenka for a sell for me, only because she's so up and down. She hits the ball a billion miles an hour, but some matches, none of them go in. Now, what are the rules? Because Benchich is seven already. Are we buying her to go higher than seven? Or I think she's going to be. I'm just buying her because she's seven. To do well. Okay. Yeah, she okay. do well. To do, I think she's going to do well. What is well doing also. well yes. for you? Yeah. Quarterfinals? I think for Benchich, the round 16 or, or quarters. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. if she's seven, she's supposed to make the make quarters. quarters. And then for, for holding, I'm going to go with Sakari. And for selling, Sabalenka because of what's happening off the court with her father mm. passing away in November. All right, final group, buy, sell, hold, dangerous floaters, everybody. On the women's side, Garbina Muguruza, two-time Grand Slam champion. Wozniacki's won an Australian Open. Venus, seven-time Grand Slam champion. Kuzi's won a couple. And Sharapova's a five-time Grand Slam champion. They're all unseated. Who do you buy here? I'm going with Wozniacki. Just the emotional tug at my heart because this is going to be her last tournament event of her career. I think Miss Sunshine. 
Yep. Everybody loves to watch her the way that she competes. I hope she has a great tournament. Maria Sharapova at 145. That's a shocker. Kuzi, I love you, darling. Sveta, but I'm, I'm going to sell. She's just, she <laughs> lost last week in the first round, 34 years old, and I think she's seen better days. That was mean, Jimmy. That, that was, you're, you're, I'm getting <laughs> What is happening to you? Self-critical. Right, what I'm do you just, think? All I'm doing is buying. I'm buying in Mogarutha for this because I don't want to be them mean. Buy them all. I don't want to be mean to anybody. <laughs> That's new. You yeah. to be mean to the guys, but not to the, not to the ladies. Exactly. So right. Muguruza's been playing reasonably well so far this year, winning matches. She's obviously shown that when she's confident, she'll do very well. So you're well. not selling anybody there? No. I'm not selling. Okay. I, I want to see how Maria does as well, Get, getting the wild card in. Well, well, the curiosity factor is at an all-time high there. I'm worried for air quality for Sharapova as well. She hasn't shown point. that she's physically as fit. She does tend to get a little bit tired when she plays these long matches. All right, buy, sell, or hold, another great game that we play here on TC Live. And, Jimmy, since we've recorded this, since you guys recorded that segment, one American maybe has just taken it personal and shut off the ranks is Danielle Cowan. She's been on a tear beating Benchitz and Kennan, playing well. And this was the, the first semifinal, the only semifinal of a major she made last year. So whatever it is about this continent, she loves playing here. Look, I did her a favor because I had her as a hold. I didn't have her as a sell, but I yeah. had her as a hold because I was see worried. More and see it, yeah. Yes, because I was worried about her defending the points of the semifinal. First time she's gone that far in a major, it's always difficult defending the next year. So that's why I put her as a hold. She has come out of the gates playing remarkably well this year. Svitolina in her first tournament, first match of the year, 6-1, 6-1. Mm-hmm. She beats Svitolina, and now the last couple of matches, crushing Benchich, crushing Kennan dominating really overpowering those players so is this a year when she just i mean she gets better every year she didn't even make her first college team her first year in florida she she rode the bench and eventually she you know won the national championship in college and went to the pros and gets better every year she has a fiery fiery sort of outlook and playing at a remarkable level it's not a stretch to say that she's had more big wins in the last week, week and a half, than she had the last half of last year. Yes. So she's peaking at the right time going into this major. Uh, some other names to mention. One of the women that she beat, Sophia Kennan, I've always wondered this with her because she's got some big wins. She's gotten far in tournaments. She won a few last year. Do you think her game at this point is good enough, is advanced enough to really be a threat to contend for a major? That's a tough one for me to answer because I think she's very solid. Right. And I think there's no question making quarterfinals or semifinals is in the cards for her at some point. But serve has to get a little bit bigger, has to get a little bit better, uh, more accurate, I think. Um, Just maybe slightly more firepower. When she gets to that very top level on the women's tour, the women are relentless with the way they return second serves. They are – a foot or two inside the baseline and just roping second serve returns. And you've got to be able to contend with that sort of pace and that sort of pressure that's coming on to you. She does a pretty good job. I'm not sure she's quite yet ready to do it against the very best. It's something to monitor. we got to ask the tough questions here because she's so close to possibly breaking through, but we've seen a lot of players that get to that threshold and can't get to that next step, that next level. On the men's side, uh, you guys touched on it, but there is the old reliable John Isner that you know that he's got a certain level of game, a formula that works to a certain point. I'm curious about TFO because that run in Australia was amazing to watch, showed a lot of heart. You thought he might break through beating Anderson, Dimitrov in there. 
uh, runs into Nadal. There's no shame in that. But it's been a lot of struggling since that moment. The points to defend, a lot going on. This is kind of make or break time for him, and his 2020 year will kind of depend on what we see. Well, look, I mean, it's already almost it's, the tournament hasn't started, and it's almost broken because he's got Medvedev first round, mm. and that is not what you want to see. <laughs> no. Because Francis, to me, has remarkable talent. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible athlete. He's got tremendous power. He sees the court pretty well. He can take the ball early. I just don't think he's fallen. To me, he's fallen in a little bit with the crowd that it's tough to keep up with. The Nick Kyrgios, Jack Sock, mm-hmm. Francis Tiafo sort of group that has fun. They enjoy life. Nothing wrong with that, but, yeah, you got to be a professional it's, too. It's tough to win on this tour when you're playing people that aren't having as much fun, that are just mm-hmm. working and, and trying to be the best they can be every day, every week. And so far, whoever hangs around with Kyrgios, <laughs> all of a sudden they drop a little bit in the in the rankings. That's how it has seemed to me. Kyrgios is the only one that two or three or four <laughs> weeks a year he goes ahead, okay, I'm going to win the tournament now, make sure I'm still ranked high enough, and he can do that. But <laughs> yeah. most people can't just turn it on in one second like that. Yeah, that's another level of natural ability for sure in Kyrgios. I'm also really excited to see Taylor Fritz this year. What he did, I think, last year you talk about professionalism. One of the most professional things that we've seen, at least from American tennis players, he went to Europe for clay court season and basically stayed there, played in all the tournaments, was the lone American in a lot of those tournaments. He's gotten his ranking up. He, he seems like big things are coming. He's got some big wins under his belt. So I think this could be a big year for him. I always felt that he was going to be a little bit too slow with his feet to be great. Mm-hmm. But, as you said, he, he's a professional. He is doing everything he can to improve. He's, he's putting it on the line every week. He, as you said, he played all the clay. To me, that was perfect for him because he's a California kid. He didn't grow up playing on clay at all, so he's not going to have great results on that. And he did start winning some matches. His game improved. He's improving every year. He's becoming more of an athlete. I do expect him to, to continue to do well because he has such a great attitude. The other guy for the Americans that I think I'd be shocked if he's not top 20 in the world at some point in the next year or two is Riley Opelka. Because yeah. First of all, he's he's sort of John Isner 2.0 in a lot of ways. He's just as tall or maybe taller. <laughs> Serve taller. is not quite as accurate. Huge, mm-hmm. but Isner seems when he needs a point, he will hit an ace. It's, yeah. it's amazing, actually. <laughs> um, and Opelka's Pretty good at it, too, but not quite Isner. So that's where Isner has a slight edge. But Opelka, run, when you see him run and move on the court, he does not look like a seven-footer. He, he looks like a 6'9", <laughs> or something. He's, yeah, he's still got not some as agility. quick. He's, yeah. yeah, he can move. He's pretty quick, and his backhand is actually money. He hits a backhand as big and as beautiful as anybody. His forehand is the side that sort of – when it gets tight, can go off, but it's also a bit of a weapon. And I think as time goes on, he gets that a little bit more reliable on the forehand side. He's going to be, he should be without having any injuries. That's the other thing. When you're seven feet tall, this sport takes its toll on your body. And if he's injury free, I'll be shocked if he's not, I mean, I'm saying top 20, but I actually would be shocked if he doesn't reach the top 10 at some point. Opelka put himself on the map with that big win over Stan last year in Wimbledon. He's He's got an edge. We've seen it and, and how he's been, you know, kind of addressing the ATP Cup issues that he's had. He said too. one of my favorite <laughs> moments last year was, I was he played Isner in, 
in Atlanta. Yeah. And I was sitting in Isner's box because Dave McPherson's my buddy and 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 I happened to be at that tournament. And it was five six in the third, obviously three tie breaks they they played in that match. But he's serving at five six in the third, Opelka, and he at fifteen all he double faults twice to give Isner double match point. And he comes over to get his towel and he's talking to himself and all he's saying over and over again is I should have played team sports. I should have played team sports. <laughs> Um, That's great. Which I thought was hilarious. And then he got stepped to the line, hit two aces, and ended up winning that match. Wow, that's awesome. Whatever works. Uh, Riley Opelka should be up for a big year uh, for sure. That was another great rendition of Buy, Sell, or Hold. Next up, we're going to talk about two other Americans. The 2017 U.S. Open Women's Final was played between two young Americans, Madison Keys and Sloane Stevens. Sloane beats Keys pretty handily to win her lone major title. It's been a turbulent two-plus years for them since then both going in different directions as we start 2020. Let's listen to what TC Live had to say about the start of the year for both Sloan and Madison. For Madison Keys, however, gets just outside the top 10 right now. What do you make of her uh, start to the year and, of course, expectations heading into Melbourne? Honestly, a, an amazing start for Madison, who got through the first couple of rounds and in pretty, pretty relative ease. And for her, then she got confidence. And getting big wins was absolutely crucial for her. Played a good final. It was the best I've seen her move in a tournament, match after match, getting to balls, making good choice, shot selection choices. I think it sets herself up really well. The key now for both Pliskova and Keys is this coming week, similar to what we were talking about with the men, is to rest and recover these first few days, then kind of get used to the conditions in Melbourne. Maybe they're fast again. The last few years, they've been lightning. If it is, helps both these players. Always great to see Pliskova win, especially now that she, he's working with, she's working with Danny Balverdu, and I'm, I'm really glad to see her winning. She's always a favorite to win coming into the slams, and we're still waiting. You know, but talking about Madison Keys, and nobody better to talk about her than, than Lindsay, in every conversation that she came up four or five years ago said it's a matter of time till she wins the slam. She's been a little bit lost in the conversation because of all these new names, the youngsters that have come, but she still has the firepower to, to go out and perform one of these big weeks and, and take home a grand slam. That's just the way I see it, and that's the kind of tennis I, th I think she plays. But where is she now? This is a great sign. Yeah, it is a great sign. When she can use her game in the right way, play behind her big serve, look for her forehand, be very solid with the backhand, and have really disciplined shot selection, this is what she showed in Brisbane. Now, if she can make this like a repeat <laughs> match after match, <laughs> it'll be a phenomenal year for her. But a perfect start. She hasn't always played her best tennis in Brisbane. She's very happy and excited for the Australian Open. If there was one goal for Madison this year, in your opinion, it would be what? Consistency. Okay. In, in terms of her tournament performance. And, and she's even tired of winning one or getting to the final and then a couple of early round losses and then one good result and then a couple tough ones. The goal for the team is to be relevant in every tournament. doesn't mean you're going to win every match, yep. but play good tennis and try and eliminate those early round losses. How worried are you about Sloan, Jimmy? Very worried if you see that, although she is a big tournament, big match type player. It didn't look to me like she was putting 100% effort in that match. There's no way she was so out of position. Every highlight we showed, every point we showed, there were balls that she should have been there waiting, set up, and hitting. And instead, she's sort of falling off bounds because she's not quite getting there. I can't believe that's going to be the case in Australia, certainly. At AO, I hope not. 
I mean, Sloan is one of the best movers in our sport. Yeah, she's so amazing, she is normally. usually there with plenty of time. And when she is there to get set up, she's got powerful ground strokes with lots of spin, lots of margin. She's got a good serve. There's no way Sloan Stevens should lose to anybody two and two with, with the game that she has. So I'm just wondering about her motivation, her fitness at, at this stage, because uh, you know, she's, she's really got to bring it. It's the beginning of the season. She should be at, at her freshest level. And she's had two tough weeks. Yeah, 0-2, two, two losses to players ranked outside the top 100. But as Sloan always says, relax. <laughs> All right, Madison Keys, as we mentioned, has been on a, a pretty big tear these last couple weeks. We talked about it on the PC Live show, Jimmy, with her going to the Brisbane final, a loaded field. And she got to the final, had a match. Pliskova was, was right there with her. Um, ranked 11th now which is the highest we've seen her ranked in a while. There's a lot of tough draws to get to that part. It's been a slow rehabilitation process, but I'm optimistic because when she's on, I think we see that the game is clearly there. She's a top 10 player when she's right, when she's playing her best. The problem is her margins are so small. The way she she has huge swings, takes big cuts at the ball, and when she's off, she'll go ahead and make a lot of unforced errors and maybe have a couple of losses that would surprise you. But when she's right... When she's feeling it, she's going to beat anybody. So she's sort of a top 10 player to me that will have ups and downs. She's not going to be a Djokovic and a Nadal and those type of players that win every single week. But she's a player that will have enough big results that she can win a major or two. She, could, she should be top 10. I mean, she has the weapons, the game, the athletic ability to be a great player. You can pretty much look at the head-to-heads. She's beaten just about everybody at least once or twice. Exactly. Like that's that's something you look at is that she can beat top players. Cincinnati, she won last year, beat Halep in a throwing three set match. I think it was Kuznetsova in the final. She's she's got the game that might not be the most consistent, but yeah, when she's on, no, it's she's because a, a threat. Her swings are so big. It's just if she so let's take just, Wimbledon out of there. It's probably well, not going to happen. The swings are so big that she's going to make yeah. errors at times, mm-hmm. and it worries you when you're at the biggest moments in pressure. Mm-hmm. Will she be able to put the that big swing in the court? I mean, she has done it from time to time. Can she do it in a major? She did make a final at the U.S. Open, so obviously she she can. Yeah, good to see her actually play well in a lot of finals. She won Cincinnati. The Brisbane final was good. The U.S. Open final, she got steamrolled. So yes. I was wondering if, if that would be an issue, but she's she's engaged and playing pretty well. Uh, engaged on the court. Engaged off the court would be Sloane Stevens, and her struggles have been well-documented. Losing again, uh, losing consistently now in these Australian tune-up tournaments. Jimmy, 14-14 and 14 in her last 28 matches. A major champion, but hasn't looked anything like it in the last calendar year. No, from what I've seen from her, she doesn't look motivated in any way, shape, or form. She's not moving. She's one of the great movers on the women's game If when she's engaged mentally and mm-hmm. wants to be. She's an incredible athlete, and... Lately, she just looks like she'd rather be anywhere but on the tennis court, and it's showing up in the results, obviously. I'm s- uh, slightly surprised that she's 14 and 14 because <laughs> yeah. when she loses, she's not messing around. She's losing kind of in a hurry. Um, and it's been – at some point, she always says, don't worry about it. I'm going to get it together. And I think she does have that type of talent that she can. But I also wouldn't be surprised if in two years she's married and – She's had enough of tennis. And winning a Grand Slam in any situation is, especially that first one, is a life-changing experience. And before she won, the, it's almost like we got to do pre-U.S. Open 2017 post. There's a lot more, like you said, hunger, motivation. 
doesn't. But even look, pre, yeah. even pre, she played matches where she looked uninterested, right. which is surprising. I've mm. seen her. I've seen her do it over the years. So it's sort of you realize why she performed so well, sort of in the finals of a major, because it's another it's day. Not as <laughs> yeah. It's not as intense to her. It's okay. not as important to her as it seems to be to most players. And so she's going to be more relaxed in those intense, tight situations. Well, the final segment of the TC Live podcast was a look at the Australian Open draw that was released recently. The men's and men's and women's singles draws are out, and some some barn burners as well. We break all that down on TC Live. Here it is now. We've got the draws. We've got the draws. They came out last night. I was watching online, and when I saw that quarter come out, Venus Coco again. Shocking, but pretty fun. I just want to know what the odds are of that happening again so soon. Pretty fun maybe for Coco. I bet it's not so much fun for Venus. Venus is going to be 40 in June. Uh, she hasn't played any matches this year. She had kind of a slow end of last year, winning one match in three tournaments. Who likes to play a hot 15-year-old? And when you're Venus and won seven Grand Slams, it's, uh, it's tough to go out there against someone who's playing so well. The interesting thing to me about that matchup is that Venus was the heavy favorite when they played at Wimbledon, especially yes. because how well she's done at Wimbledon over the years. The surface. The surface, exactly. That has now completely flipped. And Coco is supposed to beat her hero. And that becomes a little bit more of a mental challenge, I think. So I'm interested in seeing how she handles it. <laughs> what a moment right here where she said after her, uh, you know, thanks for everything you did. She kind of planned that before the match. Didn't know she was going to win the youngest <laughs> qualifier in Wimbledon tournament history in the open era. And then went on to the fourth round there after beating one of her heroes in Venus Williams. And just two majors later, we got a rematch in the first round of Australia. I mean, Venus had won four of her seven singles Grand Slam titles before Coco was born. That's right. It's unbelievable. It's really quite unbelievable. We also have so many other great yeah. matchups on the women's side that uh, you, know, you just look for those popcorn first rounds, and then you start to look for where's Roger, where does, you know, where does team land, where does Medvedev land, and some of the other ones that are quite interesting, Simona Halep and Jen Brady. Jen Brady has had a great start to the year, beating Barty a couple of weeks ago. Actually, Vekic and Sharapova, we, Mira Sharapova is down to 145 in the world. Obviously, a very dangerous floater with five majors under her belt. Hasn't been playing as well, but boy, does she compete extremely well. And the reason why I'm worried about Sloan Stevens there against Zhang Shuai is because Zhang beat Sloan in the first round of the Australian Open two years ago. Sloan has not won a match this year, and she hasn't looked great. As we talk about these matchups, Madison Keys, Daria Kazakina, Yes, but Keys has beaten her six times, 12-1 in sets as well. Yeah, I, that one is a popcorn match because of name value, and Daria has had a, you know, some, some great results, but she's ranked in the 60s now. She hasn't been playing well. She was actually in qualifying last week in yeah. Adelaide. Madison got to the finals of Brisbane, so if Madison plays anywhere near her form, that should be pretty straightforward. Yeah, I'm believing in keys in that match. But there are a lot of tremendous first-round matches on the women's side of the draw. On the men's side of the draw, there are quite a few as well. The, the one that really jumps out to me is Novak Djokovic. I know he never loses in Australia, but he's got Jean-Lenard Struff in the first round, and he he's only two spots out of being seated, Struff. 5-0 head-to-head in sets, though. I understand, but it's still a dangerous match because Stroop has a huge game. It's just that Djokovic defends so well. Stevie Johnson's got a pretty tough draw. He's got Roger Federer. He's given him some trouble over the years. Lost to him when they've played, but 6-6 six and six the last time they played. Poor Francis Tiafo. 
He's got Daniel Medvedev. Medvedev playing incredibly well. Tiafo has quarterfinals to defend. All kinds of pressure on Francis, and he's got the type of guy that's going to keep you out there for six hours to be able to beat him. Zverev hasn't been playing too well. Any match that he plays is a popcorn match. Will he get any serves in? Batista Gut has been playing brilliantly this year. Lopez playing great this week. And Denis Shapovalov, we'll see what happens with him. He plays a guy that has more muscles than anyone else on the tour. <laughs> and the popcorn match that we didn't talk about is Riley Opelka and Fonini. Oh, yeah. They played at the U.S. Open. I think it was last year, and Opelka won in four sets. So who wants to see a serve like that that's going to be bouncing over your head like Riley Opelka? It's tough to break his serve. And Fonini's not the tallest guy on the, on the tour either, so it is literally over his head. But he did beat him in Davis Cup couple of weeks later in a tough three-setter. That was tough. Let's get back to Serena Williams, though, because she's a big story here, and she's right. going for her 24th major. I want to know the road to that number 24 record-tying major for Serena Williams. How will it go? It starts tough against a young Russian in Potapova. She's a good player, could face Kanta, Yastremska, who's been playing well, Wozniacki in the fourth round, then potentially a rematch with Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinals before potentially Barty or, or Halep in a final. You know what I like about this draw for Serena is, to me, it gives her a runway. I mean, Potapova, yes, she's 18. She's been playing some qualifying already this year. So I, she's a tough player, but it's not a, a popcorn match, I don't think. And she has a little bit of time, I think, until the fourth round. To me, it's going to be Yastremska. Yastremska is 19 years old. She's in the semifinals today. She is a fearless competitor. And then, Osaka, who Osaka, by the way, could play Corey Goff or Venus Williams in the third round. That's what happened, I think, at the U.S. Open last year, Goff and Osaka. And then Barty in the, or Kvitova in the semi. So it's not an easy draw. And at, it is an easy draw, I think, at the beginning, but then tougher, uh, which you would expect because Serena is the eighth seed now. Projected fourth rounds. And by the way, out of that Venus-Coco match, the winner could play Naomi Osaka in the third round at the U.S. Open. Remember, Coco played Osaka in the third round and lost that match. But if the seeds play out, which they never do, here's the projected round of 16. You're exactly look, right. Look, when you were talking about Serena Williams, she's the type of player that once she gets on a little bit of a roll and she wins those early round matches, she's tougher and tougher to beat. Having said that, the players that are capable of hanging with her, Naomi Osaka is obviously one of those that can match her with power, with speed, all the type of things that Serena brings. Osaka also brings. To me, those are the players that can beat her if they're hot. The other player I was looking at was Barty. I mean, that's kind of an interesting story, where her draw, how her draw lines up, because will she be feeling the pressure and the expectations? Think about where Barty was last year mm -hmm. when she came into the Australian Open, and she was just trying to go deep. She was trying to kind of assert her game and her talent very different place this year, and I think her draw looks favorable. That's good for her. She's looking to become the first Aussie woman to win at the Australian Open since the 1970s. So a lot of pressure on Ash Barty, but has been playing well in Adelaide and leading up to this event. Meantime, on the men's side, you got Novak Djokovic. He's, the, he's your seven-time champion. He's your defending champion, comes in with a whole lot of confidence, and the projected fourth round sees Djokovic taking on Diego Schwartzman. Once again, these matchups may not happen because at the top you got Rafa Nadal. He could be playing Nick Kyrgios in the fourth round. Could be Corinne Hatchinoff as well. But you know with Nick Kyrgios, if he sees he's in the same section as Rafa, he's going to be motivated to get to that match. There's no question he's going to want to play Rafa. They do not like each other, and it's a great matchup. So in some ways, poor Hatchinoff, I feel bad for him. He's probably going to have a Nick Kyrgios that's motivated and trying to win. And as we know, Nick Kyrgios is one of the best players in the world when he is motivated. Here's the road to 
For Rafa, first round shouldn't be much of a problem with Hugo Delian. He's more of a clay court counterpuncher, and Rafa should be able to take care of that. Early matches all look pretty good. Karenia Busta, perhaps formerly a top 10 player. Countrymen, maybe there'll be a little pressure there, but that's when it gets interesting after that for Rafa Kyrgios or Hatchinoff. Dominic Team or Monfils in the quarterfinals, then Daniel Medvedev. I don't think Zverev, we're going to see him the way he's been playing. He's going to be out before he even gets to Medvedev. And then somehow he's got to figure out, Rafa, if he wants to win this tournament, how can he beat Djokovic in Australia? Didn't happen last year, and it was very it difficult. Close, no. hey, Rafa's only won one Australian Open. I mean, that's the only Grand Slam that he's only won one of them. 2009. So, 2009, and he beat Roger Federer in that final. He's been to four other finals including the one last year, wasn't able to get through. But the big note here is that Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer are on the same side, right? And Rafa is on his own side. Sure, Medvedev is there, Tracy, but he would not have to face Novak or Roger until that final. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting on Rafa's side that Team and Medvedev flipped after the ATP Cup. And team is now the fifth seed, so he had to play Rafa one round earlier in the quarters. But yeah, you're right. And Rafa is, and Zverev is the seed there, the seventh seed at the bottom. He hasn't had a great, a great start to 2020. Look, last three majors when I've done racket bracket for tennis love racket channel, bracket. We've got it. It's on uh, tennis.com. I've always picked the one of the big three that doesn't have the other one in their half of the draw. Yeah. So at Wimbledon, it was Djokovic on his own. He went ahead and won. Barely, obviously, saved a couple of match points against Roger. And then at the U.S. Open, it was Rafa who didn't have the other top three player there. And he ended up playing none of them and yeah. winning the title. So it's usually a good sign. Whoever the big three that doesn't have the other one in his half wins. It's just hard to believe so anyone. You, hard to believe picking anyone. Rafa? No. I'm not picking anybody yet. Okay. Give me a little but bit. You've but you've got the draw. I understand that. <laughs> I'm just, you know, going to wait a little while. Okay. I'd be shocked if anyone beats Djokovic the way he has played down under over the years. Or the way he's been playing. Winning six matches already in the ATP Cup. He looks, he looks already in top, top match form and beat Rafa in straight sets. You think he peaked too early? Set. Is it possible he's peaked no, too early? No, I don't think so because you need some matches before the first Grand Slam and now he's had this week off. So he could have even taken a day or two off or a slow practice day and then ramped it right back up. All right, so big stuff on the Australian Open draw. It's always fun. You don't want to forecast too much down the road because anything can happen. But on the women's side, we're all looking forward to hopefully a showdown between Osaka and Serena in the quarterfinals. Well, obviously, that's one of the matchups that, for Serena, it's a player that is very Serena-like in Osaka and that hits the ball huge, is a great athlete, moves well, and seems to handle big moments and pressure awfully well. And that will be, obviously, a huge moment for both if they get there. Remember that in that section of the draw is also Venus Williams against Coco Golf in the first round, mm. and then they would play o Osaka in the third round, probably the winner of that match. That's also very interesting, obviously. Yeah. Anytime Coco Golf's in the tournament at this point, she's she's a storyline, certainly, and she's an athlete. I mean, I she moves as well as anybody in the world at any time, so she can run down a lot of balls from Osaka. Osaka's going to have to be playing well. Yeah, uh, clearly I think that's the case. We talked about Collins. I think there's a path there for her to make a run. I'm, I'm also interested to see an, an American we didn't mention, Annie Samova, who loses it to Serena and, and pretty much got crushed. But she started to play good before that point. She's getting to a point where she's playing some good tennis. I think the women's draw will have its openings. There's upsets earlier on in this tournament, and it's all about capitalizing. Anna Samova to me is a little bit interesting because she had a bit of a 
weakness on the forehand side. It was the stroke itself was sort of a side spin ball that that didn't feel like it was very reliable. Her backhand, one of the best backhands men's oh, yeah. or women's in the game. She can hit it on a dime on a rope a million miles an hour anywhere she wants. And she hired Carlos Rodriguez to coach her. And they were at IMG Academy this offseason training, and all they were working on was hitting the forehand with a little bit of roll, a little bit of topspin, mm-hmm. like you see a lot of players. Mo- almost everyone's forehand nowadays is hit with a little bit of topspin, and that's what Carlos was trying to get her to do. Um, and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing <laughs> for her. We'll see what happens because – her forehand, yes, it felt inconsistent and somewhat unreliable, but when it went in, it was so low and skitty. I see, yeah. And it's not an easy ball to hit. All of a sudden, she's hitting the same ball as everybody else. Right. That might not be an advantage, so we'll see how that works for her. I'll, I'll be interested in, in following her progress this year. And I love watching Ash Barty play. There's a lot of pressure on an Aussie to do well at this tournament every year. seems like she's built to kind of stay grounded and handle it. Not the hardest draw for a top seed, but there's some pitfalls there. So if she can make a run, I think it'll be it'll be good for the term if she goes deep into this one. Obviously, things will get tough for her when she makes the quarters. I think she will make the quarters. I think she's, as you said, mentally she handles the pressure very well. I love her game. She's one of my favorite players to watch, men's or women's side. So much variety. Such a great athlete. And sort of the volley is a lost art in some ways. Mm-hmm. And Ash Barty... I've almost never seen her miss a volley. When she comes to the net, she makes the volley, and she knows how to cover the net. It's old-school Australian (laughs) player, sort of from the 1970s and 80s. Reincarnated Ash Barty, number one player in the world, looking to get the first Grand Slam on her home soil. The men's side, we've kind of alluded to the nadal Kirio showdown. There's some other pitfalls as well. There's some good first-round matchups, too. You mentioned Opelka taking on Fognini. This could be just what Opelka could use to move forward because this is a winnable match for him i mean look he did beat fonini in the u.s open this year Mm -hmm. so obviously he can beat him and he can beat him in three out of five sets fonini from a mental standpoint he doesn't want to play a a guy like opelka because you have to be so strong you have to you know you're going to only get a couple of chances to break and if you get aced on those opportunities to break it gets frustrating Mm -hmm. when it's taken out of your hand and fonini's the sort of guy that he can get frustrated so I think Opelka has a real chance. The one thing that does worry me, we haven't really talked about it, is the air quality yeah. in Australia. I know John Isner, when he played in China, said he couldn't breathe. Mm-hmm. And that the air quality is worse right now mm-hmm. in Melbourne than it, than it is in China. So I don't know if it affects seven-footers. They have bigger lungs in there, so they're bringing <laughs> more junk into their lungs. But, right. it, you know, if... If it bothers Isner, you're a little worried that it might bother Opelka as well. Nadal has the Kyrgios uh, pitfall looming. Djokovic Struff in the first round could be a tricky one. Federer has her counts in the third round. So not the cleanest path to just the big four, the three, the big three meeting in the semifinals. And no, no. but you're always shocked if they don't <laughs> right. make it. I mean, it's it's sort of like yeah, there's a few guys that might worry them for a minute. Struff has had big wins this last 12 months yeah. or so, but he wins with sort of power, mm-hmm. and I just don't think he has enough power to really bother Djokovic if Djokovic obviously mm-hmm. is playing his game. so And that's the only, when you look at his draw, that's the only sort of worry that you have for Djokovic all the way to the semifinals, really. Sissipas quarterfinals yeah. has beaten him before, so 
that's another match that could be interesting. But Tsitsipas has quite a bit of pressure on him because he made semifinals last year. And it's always interesting when you're sort of defending huge points for the first time. I know he defended some in Masters 1000s last year. Um, but this is the first time he's defending a big result in a major, and we'll see how he handles it. So we'll end with this, Jimmy Arias, TC Live podcast. We know the big three is consistent as they as they are. Who's the next-gen guy that I'm not going to say will win the tournament, but will make their mark, possibly win it, but Medvedev gets to the final of last year's U.S. Open, sits past the semifinalist here last year. Who makes their mark in that next next generation? Well, look, I was... I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit, and uh, the way I said it probably wasn't the nicest way, but I was commentating in Canada for a Canadian network, and I was asked that question, who's the next player? And this is before Medvedev did all of his yeah, great things. Yeah, had that amazing was, summer. Yeah, he had a good Washington already. He mm-hmm. made finals of Washington but lost to Kyrgios. And I said, and I now rescind what I said a little bit, but I said <laughs> – I hate to say it, and I'm a little bit worried for the game, but I think the next sort of number one guy is going to be Medvedev. Um, And I thought because his game isn't aesthetically that pleasing to me, the way he looks and lumbers around the court. I think you're alone, but yeah, Yeah. I get what you're saying. And so I was thinking, I'm not sure that's going to be great for tennis. But then I loved the way the U.S. Open went, and he was the bad guy. For a lot of the U.S. <laughs> Open, and he embraced being the, the mm-hmm. guy that everybody hated. Um, so now I have somewhat more hope, but I still stick with what I said. I think he's the guy that is going to give these big three all kind all they can handle. I mean, he's he's six 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 seven, uh, and he and runs like a deer. He gets to he's there's no place to hit it by him really and he doesn't miss and he's got an edge to him i think that part we we saw he has confidence too that yeah. because before that summer started i saw a quote from him and he said if he doesn't make at least quarterfinals of montreal cincinnati and the us open then it's been a disaster summer and for he went him. final win final yes he did better <laughs> than quarters but it's just yeah. interesting that yeah. he wasn't ranked that high to be thinking yeah. i should be making quarters of all these tournaments I think he is, at this point, the smart bet to win the major first between that generation. I think what we've seen, the consistency is there. Sitsipas plays well, Zverevis have some big wins, but if you got to win seven matches in this draw, in this condition, I think he you'd be hard-pressed. He seems like pressed. the man right now, yes. Jimmy Arias, pleasure coming on the TC Live podcast. Thanks for doing this. We'll have to, we'll have to revisit some of these predictions and see, see where we are. Uh-oh, let's burn this tape. <laughs> we could burn it. Thanks again. This was the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network.